joked with him if i had a thousand dollars just lying around kid i'd let you out <laughs> but uh right it, it's just it's just it's crazy oh it's it's you know kitties get cabin fever too yeah yeah and does he ever and oh. you know it's always funny because occasionally i'll take him out with me if i'm doing a bit of yard work but i keep one eye on him and i don't let him wander away and for the first uh, 20 minutes or so, he just, he literally just rolls around on the concrete patio. <laughs> literally. That's he, one of the joys. He rolling is on just concrete. So, you ever tried it? Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, Kristen, they make cat leashes now. Why don't you just get one for uh, him? And, I would need a full, a full fucking harness <laughs> because uh, he, he. Well, I think it does. It goes around like their front legs. It, and it would have there. to. He hates. I told you guys, I could, I could never get him to accept a collar. I got him a collar and everything, and he he would just get rid of that fucker as soon as he could. Oh well, yeah, that's another I would too, reason to be not fair. to let him go outside. <laughs> yeah, you know. Anyway, so he it looks like he's calmed down a little bit now. He's just, he's, he's uber friendly today. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He's happy that people are here. Stick his butt in Jeff's face. Well, we all as like to do that right. now and then. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh. just appropriate distancing, kid. Appropriate distancing. <laughs> Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number five hundred forty-three. I am Master Torgo. Eighties Jeff. Commander K. And we are here to talk week and geek. Oh, gentlemen. What geeky things you do this week? Well, well actually... Oh, Jeff, I brought you a little sack oh. of some stuff oh. that I found. Jeff's oh, okay. sack. Some, some things you might not realize that you left behind. Oh, I, actually, oh. I know there's some things that I still haven't got, but... Uh, Condoms and stuff? Yeah, used no, ones. No, no. <laughs> a bag full. A whole a bag, bag full. That's a heavy bag. So you know they're used. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Because only a penis like that can fill a... <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Holy crap. Look at Kit. Uh, well, there's three things of snacks in there, and you're half right. <laughs> Jesus. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's all righty, Kidder. It's all righty, buddy. Uh, but Jeff, just go through that later. That's a... Uh... Oh. This, this is not a show thing. This is a <laughs> yes to all our this viewers is me getting out things there. To you. What all geeky right. things you do this week? Actually, before we launch in that five forty three, we're seven away from five five zero. We are. Although you know what, I don't consider the fifties so much as oh, milestones. You know. Your first fifty, yes. <laughs> but once you've hit a hundred, the fifties are. Oh, I see. Yeah. Wow, a little proud of ourselves, aren't we? Yeah. Well, <laughs> we've earned it. Every fifty, every fifty or so, though, is almost a year. So sure, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just it'll be, but yeah. it's not like we celebrate events over a course of a year at all, anyway. So that that's, is, that's immaterial. And it's it's not like you know when an event comes up, we don't put the episode up and 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 then we no. you know skip we, around we it for a couple that. episodes. <laughs> that's just we would never do. But such it, a that's thing. a once in a lifetime thing. Yeah. That's a, that can only be done on an episode five hundred scale. One more in July. Although, if you do want to uh, know our true feelings about that, you can go to geekshock500.com <laughs> and learn all about what, how deeply we feel about that. Yes, absolutely. And okay. everything. It's, it's, it's re really a, a view into our minds. There you go. All right. Wow. All right. So, wow. gentlemen, what, wow. what geeky wow. things you do? Wow. 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 I started season two of Attack on Titan. 
Wait, wait, on, is that on Netflix? No. Damn it. <laughs> I actually, uh, thanks to uh, a shock monkey who uh, who shall heretofore not be known uh, for you know Tartuga reasons, I actually uh, have access to Crunchyroll. So somebody posted a still from the fourth season, and I was just like, holy shit, I right. didn't, you know, so I checked Netflix, still has only season one, but then I went to Crunchyroll, and it's got two and three. Okay. So I've continued on on that, so. I, I think Attack on Titan, by far, my favorite anime I've ever seen. It's a, it, and I've only seen season one, so I'm, I'm like all ears. Yeah, well, season one was pretty intense. It's, it's funny because the one, the, for me, pretty, pretty much the one criticism I got that the, the main, the main protagonist, the kid Aaron, just every episode he has to have an emotional breakdown and shout and scream. I and, just call that anime. Oh Jesus <laughs> Christ! But it's, it's just, it's after a while I get exhausted. It's like Bleach isn't this bad. What the fuck? So <clears throat> you know, not even uh, Slayers, but. Um, it, it's still, and it, it I, I just, one of the cool things about anime, I mean, is just uh, so, there's all this development of character stuff. There's plenty more shit being developed and, and going on with other characters as the seasons progress, and that's actually a lot of fun. So, it, it I've been enjoying watching that a lot. Nice. So, how far are you into season two? I've got two episodes left. Okay, so nearly there. I think it's 10. I think it's 10 episodes, maybe 12 or something. I can't remember exactly how many. And and how is season two uh, compared to one as far as your enjoyment level? It's funny because I I think I'll go with it's a different enjoyment because season one, season one, there was a lot of wonder because it was just the the overall story concept itself and the titans themselves and discovering all what this world was exactly and this one goes in deeper um they're introducing more elements to what exactly is going on with the titans and stuff so uh because of uh annie in season one i don't think it's giving away anything to say that the whole humans who can become titans is being developed and what that is exactly, what that means exactly. So, because it, it's like, are they humans who become titans? Are they titans who become humans? What the hell is going on here and why? So, it, it, and you know, and there are other things as well, but it's interesting. It is interesting. So, in terms of that development, as well as who a few characters are, what they're doing and stuff like that. One of the nice things is... Uh, Erin, who is the protagonist kid, is no longer the only chosen one. <laughs> you know, because in the first season, it was sort of like, he can do this. This is weird, you know? Right. Well, Aaron is special. But but more and more side characters are getting this, well, this character, you know, so-and-so wants, and this character, these people are interested in, and why? And so they're they're developing all sorts of little threads like that, which is actually cool. Because I really, I really hate the whole ensemble built around the one chosen one even more than I hate just the chosen. In fact, I'd say I prefer if you're going to have a chosen one story, then make the story about that person. But if you're doing this ensemble and it's all about the chosen one anyway, that kind of irks me. So everybody, there are a couple other characters that people are doing this 
doing this, uh, there's something about them that's going on. So that's interesting too. Yeah. Oh, I I can't wait to see more of that. It's yeah. good stuff. When whenever they put it the fuck out where right. other people can see it. You know, I might consider a temporary subscription to Country Crunchyroll just for that. It's it's got a metric shit ton of stuff. It's it's one of the the few that does. Well, you do, wait, you have HBO, right? I have HBO. Okay. Uh, on a side note, he's got a subscription to Crunchyroll. Crunchyroll is now included in HBO Max. Oh, it is. One of the things that we learned this week, and Kirsten brought it to my attention, says, I have HBO. Uh, if you have a subscription to HBO through your cable provider, you have free access to HBO Max. All you have to do is download the app. Yeah. Because it, the, the HBO Max app is going to replace the HBO Go app, which was the one that you would take with you if you went on vacation. You I did not know this. This is so I, good to know. Hey, you, you can thank Kirsten. He found this out. I so. just I stumbled across it a couple days ago. It was a business insider. It wasn't like yeah. Joe, Joe Blow blog spot, right? So I was sort of like, and I'm reading through it, and then I read it twice. And I, I shit you not, I read it three times, and I'm like, okay, I think I'm reading this right. And I sent the li- link to Jeff, and I'm like, um, can you get Max? And I was like, I don't know. So I downloaded the app. I tried it. I logged in with my my Cox Communication credentials, and it works. Huh. So I was I was surprised. So all of my bitching about having to pay for a separate subscription is now moot. All of that uh, is now. So I will be able to see the Snyder Cut and all the other original huh. programs that are yeah. that are only coming to Max. So yeah, when it when it rotates in, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that means you also have access to Crunchyroll. Then. Yeah, Crunchyroll is one of the. Uh, um, I I went through some stuff channels, I guess, and um, I didn't notice having everything. I yeah. w- I went to watch Rick and Morty on the Adult Swim. A connection, and they only have the first three seasons. Okay, so I couldn't, I couldn't get the the current Rick and Morty. Which actually, at first, I was really excited. I'm like, oh boy, this is gonna be gross. Oh, fuck. So, <laughs> um, so I don't know on certain ones what kind of connection yeah. you'll get. But I did get to watch. Oh, oh, I did. A, I, I did a little bit of browsing in there, but you know, yeah, okay. there's it, there's certain yeah there's certain limitations and stuff. But there's definitely more stuff going. There's um, not a lot of original programming in there yet. No, yeah. we knew this one there a lot. Yeah. Anyway. yeah, I watched War of the Gargantuas. War of the Gargantuas. Yes, it this did. on Crunchyroll. Uh, this was this was this. Uh, what was that through? That might have been just a straight uh, HBO thing. Okay. Because they got an entire Criterion Collection thing going, and they have all of the, the kaiju movies, all of the Toho uh, Godzillas and stuff. And um, I watched War of the Gargantuas, I believe it was Netflix like last year. And I'm a, I'm a subs, not dubs type of guy. So I was watching the Japanese version, and it was really funny. Because that's the one where, you know, Rust Hamblin is obviously not into this. He's, you know, he's just not happy being there and stuff. And it was really funny because the version that is available on HBO is the American version. Okay. Which is a slightly different cut of the story. They change a little bit of the script in the dubbing. I hated dubbing, but I was interested in watching it because they had lost... Tamblin's voice track so 
they had to when they did the American dubbing, they needed they needed his voice track and they didn't have it. And so I believe, if I remember right, they needed him to redub his voice and he didn't do it. And so they got another American voice actor to do it. And I'm pretty sure that's how it goes because this guy does sound a little different. But it was amazing, Todd. This guy, this guy did some more, had a more energetic reading. And I shit you not, this was almost like a clinic of how vocal energy can affect overall performance. Because that physical performance on that film visibly changed with that higher energy vocal reading. I swear to God, he didn't just sound more energetic. Tamlin came across as so much more, his character was so much more engaged. And the thing, just his physical presence was more energetic. It was amazing. It was it was it was kind actually kind of surreal to watch. So it was the opposite exact opposite of what they did to Sam Jones in in Flash Gordon. Yes, the, the vocal performance that really right. mellowed out his performance. Yeah, because like in that documentary that all the actors uh, point out, they say his performance on set was far superior to who they dubbed him with, because that completely changed. Right, um, the way that his character comes across and it, with the dubbing, it, it it certainly does. It certainly has an effect. And in in case of War of the Gargantuas, it uh, I'd never known because I'd always watched the uh, the subbed version. Where where um, can I find the subbed version? I'd, I'd like to experience this myself. That's the trick ah. because it's very. Uh, there's no current print of a Blu-ray or DVD out. In fact, when I went looking around, it was actually incredibly expensive. I, I shit you not, I, f- I found a couple places that were like selling, the selling uh, for a hundred bucks. Oh, wow. So it's really out of print. That's why I was overjoyed last year when I found it on whatever service I found it on because it was it's been hard to find. But right now. All I can find is the American version on streaming through HBO. Uh, there are there are of course like Japanese versions or other regional versions, but the Japanese versions surprised me because they didn't have uh, English language subtitles. Because <clears throat> that's how I got my Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla. Was it was a Japanese version that was region one. But it had American subtitles, which is all I wanted, and um, and so it's actually kind of hard to find. So making the comparison is kind of rough. But if it if it does come available, if you can get the two together, I, I'm telling you, especially if you're a film performer, watch them side by side because it's different. It really comes across as different. It's mind blowing. My mind was literally blown when I watched that. I also watched Godzilla versus the uh, Mecha Godzilla, which I was like, okay, so what HBO's doing is they got the subbed ones for dumb, dumb Americans who don't want to read their movies. Fine. <laughs> no. Well, okay. This was the Japanese version subbed in English. <laughs> wow. So, so it, it was really bizarre. It is kind of weird that it's... Yeah. So I, I, don't, I don't even... I'm not even sure what choices they're making 
in putting these up. I'm actually kind of looking forward to going through the entire kaiju catalog and seeing which which versions they do. That makes me wonder how truly curated that is. It it you know it's it's also I think it depends on because these are criterions, right? This is part of that criterion uh, Godzilla thing. Um, but if you got the Criterion disc, you could choose your yeah. And no, there were no options. Right, I could not. I could not find. I could not find an option to pull up the other War of the Gargantuas. I I actually, for curiosity's sake, looked at Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, and there's nothing there. I couldn't choose um, Japanese subtitles. I couldn't choose English language track. What was there was sure, there streaming that makes <clears throat> sense. Right, so. So yeah, I don't. Um, huh. I don't know, man. Well, you know what? I'm I'm excited about this news that I might actually have access to HBO Max since I do subscribe to HBO and cable. Yeah. So uh, that does excite me, and exciting me more is getting at their Criterion collection. So this this is combined into making me a very happy boy. Is all there? I'm you saying. go. There you go. They're going to rope you in, and then uh, <laughs> they're going to yank it out from under and me, and then they'll, then they'll disappoint you at the later date. Yeah. Right. But yeah, dude, it's. Well, uh, some of the stuff that they got is uh, is pretty cool so far. Yeah, I, I barely browsed through it, but uh, yeah, they've, they've got some interesting stuff in there. Uh, this uh, this week did a little more Minecrafting. It's I've had a uh, uh, we had a massive family tragedy this week, so I've been doing a lot of uh, self care and doing a lot of uh, uh, going to things that I know make me feel better. <laughs> Trying <laughs> to keep your way. spirits up. Yes, so uh, did a little Minecrafting this week. And I have to say, I made uh, what is probably my favorite <laughs> Minecraft video this week. Oh my God, I was um, laughing my which, ass which off. Which started off as a wonderful experiment that went wrong. Uh, I, I logged on and at a time, Barry and I usually don't log on at the same time. It's rare that we're together at the same time. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, you know what? I'll go find Barry. I'll get him up on Discord and uh, we'll have a conversation, and we'll do, I'll do record an episode that both of our voices are in it because he did this amazing Minecraft map. It's uh, it's a way of doing pixel art within Minecraft, where you're building the pixels one block at a time within the game. It takes a massive time sink, and it takes a long time to even just design it, much less lay the blocks and make it right the first time. He did one. It's amazing, and I wanted to showcase it. Uh, so. I met up with him at the, he's building a town hall and he took me there to see the map and he told me the whole thing about it, how he designed it. We recorded this massive thing when, when it was done, it was probably about a half hour worth of stuff. And then when I went back to the footage, I found out that I messed up my settings in the game capture and it only captured uh, the game sound and my voice. So it was me talking and then a long <laughs> blank space. Uh, as Barry's talking and then me responding. <laughs> and so just the footage is just unusable. Oh, I don't, no, and I, and, no, you've got to put it. Well, no, no, no. You should you should qualify that. You originally thought it was unusable. Okay, yes. <laughs> okay. You're right. That is a qualified oh statement. God. And and so then I so I texted Barry and like, dude, I'm so sorry, but uh it I I just had my settings wrong and it didn't capture right. So I'd only got my voice, not yours. And he's like, well, we can do it again if you want. But there was kind of like a magic in the moment kind of thing. Because it was funny and we were playing off each other and, you know, doing what Barry and I do. And and so, you know, I said, you know what? I th That's when the idea hit me. And I was like, you know what? I think I can salvage this Barry. No worries. I got this. I'll make it listenable and watchable. 
So what I did is I, and I want to say painstakingly, because it took me about four hours to get it all right, to get the timing right. So I dubbed Barry's voice in myself, <laughs> doing my best, quote unquote, Barry impression. Uh, and, uh, and, and not the, oh, uh, oh, oh, my hair. Not that one. No, I just made him sound like some weird Cockney-esque bastardization <laughs> of a British man. <laughs> and just putting words in his mouth that he never said or ever would say, just the whole thing. But I, I have to say it was an absolute joy to create moments where Barry's all excited because uh, he's the only one on the server with a green penis. And <laughs> it's... So I, I put it up on the Shock Monkey's Lair. It's the latest episode of Torgo Craft. It's it's awful. And of course, if you've been listening to the show for a while and you you know the banter between me and Barry, you'll especially pr- appreciate uh, that episode as I completely completely take the piss out of Barry. Oh God! Using Barry to do so, it's it's wonderful. I I, I do lament the footage that was lost, uh, but out of it came some gold. So. I love the one in his response to you using his bed that he put up where he burned his bed. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that was like pretty glorious. The, the, the back and forth cut to him watching your footage and then just the still on his, char- his Minecraft character face and the back and forth. I was dying. Barry's got a gift for editing in his videos. If you want to see he his does. videos, he goes under Houston Dungeon Master under YouTube. One word, Houston Dungeon Master. And you can see his videos if you don't watch them on the Shock Monkey's Lair when you post them. I would say I taught him well, but all I did was teach him a few trip tricks in the beginning, and he learned all of that shit on his own. That so, is that so is so kudos to you. That He's still way better than me on Photoshop. I'm just like, how did you do that again? Mm. <laughs> that is funny. That is hilarious. So the, so yeah, good episode of Toriel Craft this week. The, the 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 only thing I would have well, I would have actually suggested you play it again. And just have Barry reinsert whatever he wanted to say, you know, in those big long pauses, or the yeah. other, or the other one. I, I could have done that footage, is, I guess. You devote a month, and you go through the Geek Shock backlog oh, Jesus and Christ. cherry pick, cherry pick no, 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 Barry no. lines of absurdity and craziness, <laughs> and just throw them in there like those guys who prank call people with with Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> quotes, you know, from movies and shit like that on phone calls. You I'm know, gonna I'm, I'm gonna stick a pin questions. in that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I have the time to devote for that sort oh, of thing. Oh, yeah, no. it would be intensive. It'd but be it, more than a month's worth of work. We're but at the thousands same, of hours. But at the same time, I do enjoy the idea of going and, and pulling out Barry words and phrases, especially from older oh, episodes. Oh, remember, remember the classic, fuck your whore mother? <laughs> <laughs> that, that always popped up at least once an episode, you know? Oh, my God, dude. That, Jesus. Uh, no. so, you know, so I can hardly wait to watch this. I, I, rem- I, your discussion on uh, the lair was kind of. I was sort of like, okay, this looks interesting, but I hadn't gotten to it yet. And I actually, <laughs> it's I. Uh, I think I watched the first video maybe of Houston Dungeon Master. I haven't watched any of those yet. I oh, they're get back they're, they're good. They're they're short, punchy to the point. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, yeah, I highly recommend his, his videos. And they're all happening on the same realm. And also, Microscope makes an appearance in this video because uh, he's the one that built the Church of Larg in the realm. <laughs> so, yeah, let that be a, a tease for you I that love, there's a Church of Vlarg in our Minecraft realm I, that Vlarg didn't make. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the rub. For a change. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, the Jeff head shake on that is just precious. You, we really need a Jeff uh, a Jeff face cam for uh, for these stories. So that that's yeah. been fun. And then on the other side of it, uh, I've also gotten back into No Man's Sky. Ah. Uh, I, all I can say is wow! Like I, I'm absolutely flabbergasted at how much they have. I don't want to say fixed the game because I've always kind of enjoyed it. Never iteration improved. It's so much more improved they have been updating this game like every two months just adding stuff to it uh it, it it's games like minecraft and uh, uh hello games is no man's sky that i really really appreciate the developers behind that because they release the game and then they keep adding things to it at no extra cost now mind you no man's sky was a promise not fulfilled when it was released i enjoyed what they released but everybody at the time definitely had the right to be upset that they were sold a bill of, bill of goods when it came out they promised things in that game that were not there and they promised a look of a game that was not there uh, but over time uh, they have made good on their promise for the most part so if you were disappointed in in hearing about, well, they didn't make the game they promised. They kind of now have, and they have made more of that game. Uh, if you haven't played No Man's Sky, it's more of a light discovery game. There's If, if you're into pew-pew shoot-em-ups, this is not your game. It's more about... <laughs> As he looks at me. <laughs> it's more about uh, discovering worlds and advancing on and unearthing this um, mythology underneath it all. Yeah, there's there's some shoot 'em up, but it's a very 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 small part of it. Yeah, it's a minuscule thing. Yeah. I mean, the air combat they have now is pretty decent, but if you want air combat, there's better ones out there, no well, doubt about it. So so small a part that you can actually avoid it if you don't even care to do it right to engage, right? Uh, you're going to be forced to at some point. Some pirates are going to come at you at some point. Oh, okay. So I can't say it's avoidable, but even if you get engaged and you don't do well, it's not punishing. Gotcha. Uh, but they've added mechs. They have added base building to an extent, like almost like Minecraft extent of base building to it. Uh, they have now officially added full-on multiplayer. So now there's full-on multiplayer hubs, which was kind of the, the thing that was promised and not fulfilled. Uh, that got released a couple weeks ago. And that's what kind of got me. And it's like, I saw they do all these releases. And then I got back, back in there and I'm saying, what is this game now? There is so much in this game that I don't recognize and I love. So I've been really, really enjoying rediscovering this game. Uh, again, it is more of a slow play kind of game. It's more of a relaxing, crafting, discovery kind of game. So if you don't like those kind of games, it's probably not going to appeal to you so much. Uh, but if you do, I recommend giving it another shot because I'm looking forward to how they expand this game in the future, because they obviously are. Uh, Minecraft is releasing the new expansion to their game. Again, it's free. Uh, it will happen automatically tomorrow. Uh, 
where the I've talked about the nether dimension in the game, the hell dimension that's in there. Uh, they are expanding that into a massive amount of things. New biomes, new blocks, new creatures, new mechanics. That sounds that sounds and when Barry made that post about don't don't build in the nether or yes. near the nether. Yes. Or even explore it, I guess he that, was saying. That's it. exactly what he was saying because yeah. in your game, unless you reset your server, uh, in Java, it's easy to do. You can just do part of it. Uh, but in the realms, not so much. Uh, the bedrock edition. The nether that you have is the, the nether that you will have when this game goes on. But any areas that you haven't explored will generate the new nether stuff. So the further you go out and explore the nether, uh, the further out you have to go to explore the new nether later on. So you can, you can bet there'll be some exploration. And apparently it's super dangerous and death, death, death everywhere. Ooh. Uh, so I'll, I'll probably make a video exploring it for the first time. I'll probably craft up some stuff that I can just be rid of if I die, when, when I die. Uh, but just to uh, see what's out there, because it's just all sorts of new blocks and new things and... And then, but this is Minecraft, so they've already announced they're working on the next one, which is going to be the mountain update, which is going to do things with mountains and I guess new caves with it. Do mo it's, it's games that never stop expanding and adding new things to it at no extra cost to the player. And I appreciate that, especially now in the world of microtransactions. And you buy the game and then you have to buy more of the game if you want more of the game. I understand that mentality. It is a business. But man, I appreciate the ones who are doing it. Yeah, Jim just to make their games better. Jim Quisition's been going off on that the last few episodes that the microtransactions and stuff. Uh, dude, just, that that has and been rightfully bread and so. Well, they know, but like <laughs> rightfully so, because some of it's just getting out of hand. Especially when you look at the overall picture of some of these companies that are doing it, it's just like how much more money do you need, and how many more employees are you going to lay off? Uh, the, so, the, that, so the, that you can enrich your the answer your to both questions is more because yeah. that's how business works. Yeah, Biz, business well, is not that's, that's, it, that's, business that's is that's not, how business in the U.S. works. Let's just let's say that. Sure, this uh, <laughs> business is meant to only help itself. Yeah. and not society. Right, and there are benefits to society from it, absolutely, but that is not its purpose. And if something in society fails because of it. That's not their problem because their problem is just making more money. Simple as that. Yep. So it's, it's the structure of, of the capitalist society that we have. It's got its pluses. It has its minuses. And that's one of the minuses. Yep. Microtransactions. <laughs> what yeah, else you really. do, gentlemen? Uh, I keep forgetting to mention it, but uh, season two of Holy Moly uh, started I didn't up even about, mention it four too. Weeks, about four weeks ago. Um, this is about four episodes in. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's four episodes exactly. Remind us what Holy uh, Moly is. Holy Moly is, as you so eloquently put it, it's like a real version of uh, Caddyshack 2 with the <laughs> the the crazy golf. It's uh, it's it's extreme mini golf essentially. They have these ridiculous sets for each hole, and it's just it's fantastic. Rob Riggle and Joe Tessitore are the uh the hosts and they play off each other so well i mean that tandem is just fantastic they, they have me cracking up so often and then watching the actual competitors that are out trying to sink their putts on each of these holes crack me up too because 
It's just, it's ridiculous. Like they have one this year called hole number two, which it's, it's, it's the dumbest thing ever. It's, you have this little strip of the course where you have to putt past these porta potties and then you have to run past the porta potties to get to the, the, the hole to sink your putt. But there's only two seconds from the time that the green light goes off and you can run before the people that are in the, the porta potties and they're fake porta potties open the door and knock you into this little pool. And if you get knocked into the pool, it's a one stroke penalty. And only <laughs> one strokes and putts is so far this season. Only one person has made it past. Like everybody oh gets and hit and hit hard. And then they have another <laughs> one. They have another hole called Dutch courage. <laughs> Uh, from last year, this co- this year it's called Double Dutch Courage. So last year they had these windmills, the old Dutch style windmills, and they had four blades. This year they added a fifth blade to each one of them. So when they try to, and there's two of them, so they have to run through one. You 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 put yeah. your ball through the windmills yes. as you normally would, and then and then you have to run through. But if the blades hit you and knock you into the water, it's a stroke penalty. And man, some of the the hits these people take, it just, especially when they do the replay in slow motion, just has me dying from laughter. Uh, now, it's, it's it's supremely padded, so the likelihood of getting severely hurt is very, very low, but at the same time, you're like, oh my God, that hit them so hard. For ages, my mother's like, you should get on a game show. That, that, and and I, I can't. Because under heavy stress, my brain freezes up. Right. I would be a shitty, shitty game show contestant because I couldn't, my brain couldn't do trivia under stress. But I want to be on this game show so bad. So bad. I would, I would love to be a contestant on Holy Moly. Did you see the, the, the double dragons, I think is what they're calling it. That one where they have, um, they have dragons that literally breathe fire. So they put the contestants in the uh, in those fire suits, the ones that are the the reflective material with the. So they're trying to putt while they're being engulfed in flames. <laughs> <laughs> I'm and, and not only that, they dress them in like a uh, like a little uh, king uh, crown and a cape. So while they're putting, these flames are burning off this this crown and this cape. So the exterior over the suit is just burning away while they're trying to putt. I was laughing my ass off because I'm like, that seems really dangerous. Holy moly is pure joy. It it's, really is. It's pretty great. I, I would love to play. You know what? Even if I did what a contestant, I would love to play the course. <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be a fun course. Absolutely. I would sign the waiver. That's fine. I'll yep. sign the waiver because I'm going in the drink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, 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 almighty. They have another hole that has these, uh, these little, they call them sprinklers, but they're almost like fire hose nozzles that are spraying across this really thin uh, platform that you're trying to walk across. And I haven't seen anybody yet make it across. No, actually, sorry, one person did. But everybody's like, as soon as they hit that water, that water pushes them off into the into the drink. One of my favorite holes is the Long John Lovitz hole. Yes, John Lovitz. John Lovitz is, so Lovitz is awesome. Um, so the the whole idea is you it's it's a first a get closer to kind of putt, and whoever gets closest, uh, the first person uh, John Lovitz is wearing a single eye patch, and he then. 
you then put the ball down, you put the club where you want it to be, and then John Lovis will chip the ball over the water hazard to the hole. Yep. Uh, the person who loses that first putt and goes second, uh, yes. they put a second eye patch over John Lovis, so as both eyes are covered, and then they uh, the person then has to place John Lovis' club and ball in front of him, and he does it blindly. At that point, yes. you then have to cross the water hazard, which is not insignificant. Yes. And in the middle, there is this gigantic inflatable shark that's going around in a circle, and you have to jump off the plank, walk the plank, Mm -hmm. jump onto that shark, and then ride that shark over to the dock on the other side and hop off, try to get off that without going in the water. If you go into the water, it's a stroke penalty. Yep. They're amazing holes. Um... (laughs) Okay, it's is, awesome. is there is there some way we can is there some way we can submit Andy for this? <laughs> you know, I'm gonna have to look into that. You know what? Even though I really want to be on this show, I would give up my place <laughs> <laughs> so that Andy could putt in this show. I would love that so much. I just I just heard the jumping off the plank on the shark, and I just that's that's when my brain turned to Andy. Ironically, (laughs) the only really cruel part about this whole setup is they film in the wintertime in SoCal. So even though it's not... fuck out. Yes. So even though you're like watching it and you're like, why are those people in winter coats and stuff? And then then like the wind will blow and you're like, oh, they filmed this in wintertime. God damn. So when the people fall into the water, they're pretty cold. Yeah. Trying to putt. That'll be nasty shit. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean. I mean, California, even, even a a regular pool, if it's not heated in the summer. Yes. Can be a, can be a nasty uh, dive. Yep. (laughs) Jesus. So while not as cold as some areas of the country in the winter, it's still cold. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, uh, God, I just love the, the commentary from, from Joe Testatori and Rob Riggle. It just cracks me You're up. right. They have an, a, f- a fantastic chemistry. Yes. I, Man. I, I, was, I was actually pretty amazed because I, I love Rob Riggle. I think he's a fantastic comedian. And Testatori's have been with ABC Sports and ESPN for a long time. But you wouldn't have thought of him as being able to do a comedic sports commentary. And they play off of each other so well. Uh, it's it's pretty impressive. So check it out. It's on ABC if you wow. get a chance. What a show. Um, if I'm not mistaken, if you have cable, it's on ABC On Demand. If you've missed any episodes, <laughs> you can go back and, and get caught up. What else you do this week, guys? Um, I watched a, uh, a Blu-ray, newly released Blu-ray of Duel. Oh, Steven wow. Steen, yeah. yeah. Ooh. Um, and uh, Spiel- Jeff, you... Spielberg's first Spielberg's film. film. Yeah. I've seen it. I didn't realize it was out on Blu-ray. Yeah, they did. And they did this nice audio. Jeff, you would be interested in this because they did this really nice audio remaster. This guy came back and totally did the audio. Oh, wow. Uh, they actually have the old audio track and then the new one. And they give, like, the truck a real depth nice. to its to its engine i mean the subwoofer goes off in the in the tv room and you you get the going on and everything it, it sounds really really good and it's it's funny because it's uh, the first time i've watched duel where i actually was like just watching a spielberg film and choices he made and everything um, i had actually not known 
that uh, that it was a TV movie that they were like, oh fuck, yes. this is so nice. Let's release this theatrically, and uh, uh, so I actually was watching it and going, okay, this is a TV, and their TV. It's funny because there are there are sixties, late sixties, early seventies TV actors all over this fucking thing, starring Dennis Weaver, of course, and. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, yeah, this actually was a 70s TV movie. But then watching how, you know, just seeing the beginning of Spielberg, you're just sort of like, oh, shit, you know? That's why they released it theatrically. And then you just start seeing, oh, wow, this is, this is Steve starting this, this kind of playing around uh, early on in the game. And it actually was uh, was nice and impressive and really cool. Uh, it... it um, I definitely recommend if you're anything of a Spielberg fan, if Absolutely. you liked a duel at all, get this Blu-ray because it's it's it does a great service to the movie and it is really, really worth watching. I uh, really just is. checked Amazon, it's ten dollars. Oh, so geez. if it's yeah. if it's the one that I'm thinking, it's the only one that came up, but it is the de- the one with Dennis Reaver. Because um, there's another Western that's called The Duel with Woody Harrelson. Right. So <laughs> yeah. You want the Dennis Weaver one, the 70s Duel, one. yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting. The first time I saw The Duel was in film school um, in my pop culture of the 70s class. And I got to watch it on 16 millimeter. It was pretty interesting. We had oh, wow. that, that was our screening for it. So um, the way I saw it was rather unique for the you know I'd say. the the late nineties. Well, how many or, people can say they've seen yeah. Duel in sixteen? Yeah, yeah, really. I we, yeah. we were surprised too because we thought, oh, he's just going to pop in a VHS tape, and he's like, nope, I got the sixteen millimeter print. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah. Uh, because they 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 shot it. Yeah, they, they shot, shot it, it wide, even though um uh, they were they were initially thinking TV, if, and he made use. It, and it's interesting yeah. watching that. Because you can actually see in his composition how he's taking advantage of the wide, but he's aware that it's probably all going to be yes. in the center. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to have to go back and double check my notes to verify because I could be wrong here. But if I remember correctly, they actually shot it on 16 because it was for TV instead of 35 because that was pretty common especially in the 70s, they would shoot on either 35 or 16, depending upon since, you know, especially if it was going to be on TV, most TV viewers can't tell the difference once it's been transferred, once they've done the telesin to to video. So it's a fascinating look at, like you said, kind of the, the kind of the genesis of Steven Spielberg's shooting style. Right. Um, Doing he doing funky shit like like he would shoot through the undercarriage mm-hmm. of the truck to Dennis Weaver in the distance and he'd do like a rack focus, you know, right through it. Stuff like that. Yeah. As well as his uh building building tension kind of stuff. Um and already elements of the I think he used I think he used all uh, day players in this, yeah. but his like there's a scene in a, a diner, which which has a very Spielbergian feel of he's just used some locals as extras. Yep. I don't know if he did or not. I don't think he did. It's yeah, but it's got it, that it, feel though. But it does. It it really does have that a very. And it's so you know it's so weird 
to use naturalistic when you're talking about Steven Spielberg, but he does little touches like that. He'll yep. do little touches like that. Um, <clears throat> one thing that was really fun to notice, I've always loved in Jaws, there's a scene when Roy Scheider's getting the, the stuff for the paint, to paint the posters, and he goes into the, the, the hardware store, and he's grabbing brushes, and the, the brushes fall over. And you can tell that that was a fuck up. You can tell that, that Roy Scheider lost control, and he's like, ouch, because there's this rapid smash cut where, which is obvious because, you know, Scheider must have been like, God damn, I'm sorry, fuck you. And, you know, Spielberg's like, that actually was fucking awesome. And he decides <laughs> to use that take, right? And there's a scene where Re Weaver had hit a fence and the post is kind of broken in the rails. And he's going back to his car to get back in there. And he's like moving through under the fence. He moves the rail. The post falls over. He kind of grabs it. And it's just a little moment of... You almost begin to see this is this is Spielberg developing the whole happy accident. Let's keep this thing because you could you could sort of tell Weaver stayed in character because this guy he has an incredibly pained face as he's going back to the car to get back on the road, and in character he like uh, uh, catches the post and you know, and you're just like. That's that that definitely was not meant to happen, and it happened. And Spielberg's using it. It was a, it was a cool, and it's a cool little thing to actually. It's funny because watching this now for the first time in my life, I'm actually kind of interested in watching Sugarland Express. Yeah, just to watch for that kind of stuff. I've never seen Sugarland Express. I don't believe I have either. Yeah. Spielberg definitely loves the imperfect protagonist. So yeah. when you have those happy accidents, he likes to include They're those because so human. it humanizes the character because there's so many movies where you have the perfect protagonist and they, they never make a mistake and they right, do this. Right. And, and, and to have stuff like with Shider, he pull it and then it goes yeah. everywhere. It, it, it humanizes the character. Yeah. And it, it, it also, um, it, it once again, it's interesting to speak about Spielberg and talk about shots that did not go exactly as planned, you know, executed not exactly as planned, but being used anyway. Yeah. It's, well, it's just, it's, it's he, interesting. For his entire career, but especially early on, he had a lot more flexibility for himself with right. like going like, that's not what I intended, but I really like it yeah, as opposed yeah, yeah. to a lot of directors, especially in his early, you know, in the days when Spielberg got started, were like, no, 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 no. That's right. not what I want. That's right. not my vision. We need to shoot this again. Right. And they would just waste film. They'd do 40, 50 takes. Yeah. And, you know, wouldn't happen. But <clears throat> Spielberg was definitely one that was open to those, those happy accidents or mm -hmm. that, uh, that's not what I saw. Not how I saw it in my head, but I really like that. So, anyway. Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, it's a great movie. I I didn't realize for a lot of years that they had released it theatrically because I knew that it had been a made exactly. TV movie. But Spielberg and his style, he shot it like an actual mm -hmm. big screen film. So right, and that made it easier to transition. And to apparently, a that that was where they were like, uh, "Let's give him this shark thing," because uh, yep, yeah, which is which was you know its own little story. 
He's he's got some interesting and damn near killed him. <laughs> he he and, and almost sunk his career not not because they were unhappy but because he he was like oh I'm done with this fuck filming <laughs> fuck movies. God, there's there's a lot of interesting stories of his early career. Oh like man, sneaking onto Universal yeah, lot yeah, and yeah. sneaking onto sets and watching. Didn't didn't the he great didn't he uh, squat in an office? Something like I, that. I thought too. he squatted in yeah. an empty office and and like as his own. I, I I seem to crawl something like that. I also remember he like snuck on to like a uh, a Hitchcock set and ended up getting kicked out after like the second or third time. Like Hitchcock was so focused, he didn't even realize. Wow. And uh, yeah. Anyway, it's, that's tremendous. There's there there was a HBO documentary. It was like a mini a series doc. So it had like four or five episodes. So if you get a chance, look it up. I, I have to look up the title because I can't think of the name of it right off the top of my head. But yeah, anyway. Also a show debuted this week, one that we covered on Red Light, Green Light, one that I've been anticipating to see if it lived up to what we expected from it. And that okay. is the sci-fi's The Great Debate. Oh, yeah? Oh, that's right. So that started this week. So I've, I caught an episode just before today's show. Uh, and it's everything we thought it was going to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's not about nerd debates. Mm-hmm. It's about showcasing nerd comedy. Okay, that's what it's all about. And it's and it's as long as you have that in your mind that that's what it is. It's a good show. It's very entertaining. Mm-hmm. Don't don't expect any deep debates. I I know that I would love a show yeah. about. Who is the better example of classic sci-fi, Isaac Asimov or Arthur C. Clarke? Right. I, I would love that show, but I realize many would not love that show. Mm. Yeah. This show is more along the lines of uh, when VH1 would do those 80s specials and they'd get all those comedians in and they'd hand them a Rubik's Cube and say, okay, riff on this Rubik's Cube for a while yeah. and take the best cuts and smash edit that together into a special it's kind of like that in a semi-game show format. However, so it's it's semi-improv, but they it's it's obvious that you're going to be talking about a koosh ball. So go ahead and write some material about a koosh ball. If you know that going in, it's a good show. If you want more of that from that show, if if you want that show to be anything that it isn't, you're not going to like it. Set your expectations is what I'm saying. Yeah, I like the show, but damn, that's not the show I wanted it to be. <laughs> but the good mm. first episode, Jonah Ray, of right. uh, Orlando Jones. Nice. Orlando Jones. Uh, the guy from Mythbusters, Adam Savage. Adam Savage. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember her name. She was an actor and uh, voiceover and Archer. Uh, and everybody does a good job. It's good nerd comedy. Right. So if... If you're looking for nerd comedy, yes. Hmm. If you're looking for something deeper, hmm. no, that's not it. All right. Well, I don't get sci-fi anyway, so. Wah, wah. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I um, stumbled across this on YouTube, and I can't even figure out how I got down this rabbit hole, but I stumbled across an interview with Saul Rubinek, who's an actor who was in Unforgiven, and he was actually being interviewed about Unforgiven. He's the guy who played uh, the uh, writer who was following around uh, originally Richard Harris's character and then latched on to uh, Gene Hackman's character to write about their exploits. And he was talking a bit about 
Clint Eastwood. And it was really funny because he had run into uh, Jack Nicholson before before it all started. Nicholson said, I heard a rumor that you're going to be auditioning for my friend Clint Eastwood. And he's and, and Rubinick was like, I uh, how do you what? What's this? What what did you hear? Where'd you hear that? And he's like, I I hear things. <laughs> that you know? sounds right. And he and he was like he was like, let me give you some advice. You're gonna you're going to uh, film at the audition, and he's like, uh, I I guess so. And he's, don't do that. Film your own audition, and do it well. And Rubinek was like, uh, well, and you know Rubinek points out nowadays. Everybody does their own edition. They just they just grab their camera, film their own edition, and send it in. That's how they do it now. So he was like, um, uh, okay. So he he actually worked it. He really worked to set up a good uh, good self filmed audition. He actually, I can't remember if he if he had more of the script than he needed, or they sent him portions of the script and said just give us this. But he said he shot more than they requested. You know. And he sent it in, and he got the role. But one of the interesting things he pointed out was he never met Eastwood personally. It was like, uh, apparently Eastwood is known for auditioning right off tape, not even meeting people. Sometimes your first day on set is when you finally say face-to-face hi to Eastwood and meet. And he talked a little bit about Eastwood's style. Eastwood, like, does two takes. Uh, and then, and then Rubinek corrected himself, and he said, two good takes, could two good takes." If there's if there's a big foul up or something like that. But at one point, he had he had talked to him about the opening scene with his character, and he's like, "You know, the the way this is written, Clint. If I could, I just wanted to propose to you. It, I think it's I think it's wrong, and I think really what we kind of need here." And he like explains what he's thinking. And Clint looked at him and said, okay, let me tell you how I work here. So (laughs) you are in charge of your character. So you do your job and you figure out what your character got to do. And how, if if there's anything, you know, don't change. You're not changing dialogue. You're not changing the script. But what you're going to do, you do. And it was it was really interesting. So he like totally gave him, you know, you you do the character, and if there's anything wrong, we'll talk about it. But otherwise, I hired you to do this guy because your tape. And he even asked him, "Why'd you cast me? What uh, what was it about it that you cast me?" And he said, "Your tape stood out," which was interesting. So yeah, yeah especially because even at that point, Saul Rubinek had been a performer for quite a while. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, yeah, it, I, I remember him most for Warehouse 13 and, um, you know, several other things that he's been in, but, uh, but yeah, he's, he's, he's one of those that you look on his IMDB page and you're like, you look at the film and television credits and they just go on forever. They, they go on forever. He was talking about how, uh, he talked to Sam Peebles, the writer of the script and asking him about it. Uh, and and he said, how did you feel waiting so long? And Peebles was just like, oh, uh, he called me and he said, do you want to attend a screening? And he's like, absolutely, let's see it. And I went to this private little venue to, to attend a screening, and I thought there was going to be a bunch of people there, and I was going to be the writer who's sitting in the back. And no, it was me and Clint. <laughs> 
and we just sat there and watched the movie and you know i cried because uh and rubinek actually made a definitive point of saying you know every time you make a change in script it's a different color paper they keep you know you change some dialogue you change something that sheet that page changes and he goes that script was never changed at the end of shooting that script was all white pages. It was an all white script. Wow. We didn't change a word. We didn't change anything. It is what Sam Peebles wrote 10 years before when Clint bought it and waited to age into the role. You only find that in the theater. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so he was he was just like it was absolutely just and it was it was really fascinating. Oh, like 10 minutes and it was like this cheap Video. It wasn't like a behind-the-scenes anything. It was just some guy interviewing Rubinek, obviously years later, and it was really it, just for those ten minutes. It was fascinating looking into Unforgiven and actually into uh, Eastwood's style and the way he approaches stuff. It was it was pretty cool, pretty cool. Just Any, just stumbled. Anything else, gentlemen? Before we move on. Nothing I can oh, think of. Then this, what, let's move on. Let's do some news you don't give a shit about. Aww. <laughs> you sound like a buzzer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just enjoying the moment because, you know, at some point in history, we're going to go back to the long, drawn-out, scratchy. <laughs> Andy will eventually return. Yeah, 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 just As go, will go, Matt, go, Matt and Andy will return. Go ahead but, but and will they? remind me. But will they? <laughs> but will they? I know it's really. I've had a couple people been like, "Hey, uh, you want some guests on the show? You want to, uh, you know, more people on?" And I'm like, "I don't know. The three of us, we're kind of settled into our thing. Yeah. We got our chemistry yeah. going. We have our own little COVID trio going. Yeah, we don't. We, I don't think we need any more people. We're we've, fine. We've, we've toyed with it, and you know, you know, we're, we're sure. doing we're doing well. And so, thank you, also- Matt. Thank you, Andy, but uh, we're good. (laughs) (laughs) The risks are not... (laughs) Andy's sobbing right now. (laughs) And he doesn't even know why. He's like, why am I crying? I don't understand. I feel like somebody walked across my grave. Well, I guess I could go back into old episodes and cut Andy's voice out. Oh, my God! (laughs) Oh, my God! (laughs) Well, no, fuck it. Let's just delete them wholesale. (laughs) Either that... Or you could take about a month or so and just go through an yeah. ep- episodes with Andy's voices exactly. and, and just cut him and put him in. Or <laughs> not. <laughs> you, know, you know, that would actually be funny. You should grab whatever Andy you like and you should just start putting that in. You know, there's so much potential in all this because the back catalogs is so extensive. We are huge. Yes. Huge. And many, huge. In every huge. sense of the word. And <laughs> what could be really fun is to put an episode together that is just Andy, Paul, and Bonzo. And just <laughs> just those three. I'll throw in some Just Matt. Uh, see if you can get, like, the one major meh appearance. Ah, sure, you sure. Know? All right. And then a couple of, and of course, you, you need a couple of, oh, 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 my lady here. Oh, oh well, oh, yeah, oh. sure, sure. And maybe some Vernon here and there, just sprinkled in and out. A spill or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, don't forget just Captain Luddite. Just get me yelling at him. <laughs> you got to sprinkle some Luddite in there, too. Uh, true. Luddite. Very true. Oh, you know, guys, um, I'll never forget. I will never forget. Uh, I wasn't there for it. 
Luddite's uh, Luddite's last appearance and uh, that that little sing out that you guys did. Oh, it was it was beautiful. It really was. Beautiful. Guys, that was really really an incredibly wonderful moment. That, that was that was one of those just in the moment. Yeah, beautiful. And yeah. thank you, thank you, Adam, for uh, for doing that because that was just that was really. I I listened to that and I was just. That that was one moment of of just being furious at having to work this fucking job that was frequently keeping me from doing the uh, doing the podcast. So it and, was. It, it, you guys did a a great a great little sign off on that one. Yeah. And speaking of uh, Captain Luddite, uh, Adam Kozlowski, uh, he has his own YouTube channel as well, and he's been writing oh, that's these, right. these ukulele songs. Uh, if I might recommend popsicle day I, it absolutely captured my heart this week uh so you can look up popsicle day look up adam kozlowski uh, either way it'll get you there uh so if you want to see what uh, captain luddite's doing now uh yeah you can see him online just writing these beautiful uplifting songs so love you captain miss you but here's some news you don't give a shit about Wow, that was the most unusual <laughs> delivery I think I've ever had you uh, or heard you do. Rather, well, we already did the now yelling announcement. I'm right. not doing that twice. Uh, okay, well, just to back it up even further before we do this news, news that is actual real things. Uh, we are still discussing the first fifteen lies of Harry August by Claire North on the Geek Shock Book Club page. Of course, with everything going on, my reading has absolutely stalled. I will eventually finish the book, but it might be a while. Uh, we are currently nominating the book for July, however. So a uh, lot of nominations are going up. So if you have some ideas for what you'd like to read in July, go ahead and put them up and we'll be voting very soon. But going on in news you don't give a shit about, Guinness World Records has reinstated four records set by Billy Mitchell for high scores in the original Donkey Kong, as well as an additional record for the world's first perfect score in Pac-Man. Really? Mitchell, one of the subjects of 2007's documentary King of Kong, Fistful of Quarters, one we covered ad finitum on this show over the years, uh, saw all five of his records stripped in 2018. After Guinness assessed that it couldn't verify whether the records had been achieved on an actual arcade gaming cabinet rather than an emulator, he adamantly defended his accomplishments in the wake of the decision. Lawsuit. Maintaining that he had done everything, quote, according to the rules, unquote. This week, Guinness cited compelling new evidence in agreeing with him. The organization reinstated all five of Mitchell's records, with Editor-in-Chief Craig Glenday stating that a combination of eyewitness testimony, expert analysis of the gameplay, and hardware verification helped bring Mitchell's accomplishment back into the fold. As part of the reinstatement, Mitchell has once again been recognized as Guinness by Guinness as the first player to reach Donkey Kong's infamous kill screen. That's a glitch in the game's 117th screen that reduce, reduces the play timer to mere seconds, effectively ending the game. Uh, Mitchell also is once again recognized as the first player to score 1 million points in Donkey Kong, a feat he achieved in his June 2005 run. So once again... Billy Mitchell is officially the King of Kong. Wow, I'm I'm actually surprised by that because the last I had heard that that he he was still working his lawsuit against uh, Twin Galaxies and Guinness because he said that there was no his his thing was that they had no proof that he cheated, not that he didn't never 
Right. It, and this was his words in front of a audience. He's like, he's like, they had no proof that I cheated. Therefore, there's no reason for them to strip me of my. And instead of right, there's it, that's a suspect way. Yeah, of putting things. yeah. Typically, somebody would profess their innocence and you, and you defend it. He didn't catch me. Therefore, I didn't do it. His his. <laughs> if you see interviews with him, defense. he's a very. <laughs> he specifically chooses how he says his things to make himself not liable. Billy he's, Mitchell has been for. Yes. The very Decades polarizing. Now. He's Decades. a very polarizing individual. A kind of the villain of the pro arcade gaming scene. Yeah. Uh, not to say that he's not amazing at what he does. He is. He deserves his place in arcade game history. Right. Uh, without a doubt. Uh, but I mean, if if Guinness is fine with certifying it, then Guinness yeah. is fine with certifying it. That Although, obviously they're they're comfortable with it. So and I I don't know if Twin Galaxies is reversed, but there was. Um, video professionals that showed that he had edited one of his tapes. So I don't know if that's he had other tapes to back up. And yeah, it's it's one of these ongoing things that it's just like we may never know the real story. Sure, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I'm 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 quite fascinated that that uh, Guinness would reinstate that. I was a bit surprised myself, but obviously they had reason to do so. Uh, of course, as you mentioned, maybe the lawsuit, the lawsuit was enough. May have, yeah, may have been a a nudge in that direction, so as we, it were. So we may never know. Uh, yep. there, there will always be, I think, an asterisk yeah. next to his scores <laughs> because of it. Uh, I, I recommend that if you are going to be doing these sort of things, these Guinness attempts at these games, yeah. That you do it in front of an actual Guinness certifier, yes, in a, a arcade establishment that you can verify that you are not. Instead of going, "Hey, I did this in my home," look, yeah. I mean, I get it. You have a machine in your home; that's fine to practice on. But if you're doing the actual attempt, it's best to have an official there to make it well official. <clears throat> and I also always the- thought, I always thought that's how Guinness did it. You had to have a Guinness person most there. of the time. Yes. Okay. They, except they, in the except cases. in okay. All right. They they made some exceptions early on, and I think part of that was because he'd been certified by Twin Galaxies and a few other um, gaming um, things. Um, but all right. I, I his his method of proving his records was questionable too, because typically what he would do is wait for somebody to quote unquote set a record and then go oh here's a vhs vhs tape from uh 1988 where i actually broke that record and 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 essentially essentially immediately strip that person of the achievement that they had just made with a videotape that was never witnessed by anyone just a tape that he had (laughs) sitting around and he's done this multiple times and and to that point i'd like to reiterate that the reason that was reinstated was a combination of eyewitness testimony right expert analysis of the gameplay and hardware verification meaning that there was no official to certify it at the time there was no one observing on a neutral basis huh okay so yeah fascinating of course, it's a fart in a windstorm. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> Hence, why it's a news you don't give a shit about. Right. But still, Billy Mitchell is a is a villain. Yeah, <laughs> through and through, the world needs villains, I guess. 
says the man lit from the back in the... Uh, yeah. Nobody knows what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Weekend Geek! Woohoo! Yay! All right. I, I love this story so much. Ooh. Uh, I, I love when I love stories so much. Um, I'll just go right into it. Image Comics announced that Robert Kirkman and longtime The Walking Dead artist, artist Charlie Aldard are set to release Negan Lives a special 36-page one-shot following the fan-favorite character's life after his last appearance in the series back in issue 174. The special sequel one-off will hit comic book stores July 1st, one year almost to the day after The Walking Dead 193 seemingly ended it all, and the issue will be shipped at no freight cost to the retailers. Huh. Last year, The Walking Dead surprised fans when it unexpectedly ended with issue 193. The surprise conclusion, which readers only found out about when the issue dropped, was an example of the level of clout and influence co-creator and Image Comics partners Kirkman has on the industry. Now Kirkman is using that influence to help comic retailers. Quote, while Charlie, uh, while Charlie Adler and I had laid the series to rest, this felt like something special we could do for the store owners who made our series a success to begin with, Kirkman said in a statement. To that end, I'm happy to report that 100% of the revenue generated from this book will go to the stores selling it. The retailer community does back-breaking work to get comics into the hands of loving fans. We should all be doing more in these trying times to show them how appreciated they are, unquote. Uh, comic book retailers around the country were heavily impacted by the shutdowns that came in March as the COVID-19 pandemic began to spread. Diamond Comics distributors paused its service, limiting the release of new product, and as a result, more major comics publishers simply stopped releasing new books for several weeks, making a rough situation worse. So Kirkman writes a an issue of one of the most popular comic books of all time, shipping it to comic retailers for free and saying, keep the money you make on this book. That's pretty My amazing. My God. That's pretty amazing. If... I wasn't a fan before. I'm an Insta fan now. Nobody. I don't know of anybody that has done anything like this for the comics business. Right. Kirkman is not just a comic writer and television producer. He's also a comic fan. So the fact that he hasn't gotten so, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? jaded by the comics industry that he still recognizes hey the true heart of the comic industry are these small shops independently owned that are as he said putting comics into the fan hands of the fans that he's doing something like this is just absolutely incredible I, I can almost guarantee this issue will sell out oh absolutely through and through go and buy it so so if you want it i'd say get it quick because it's going to go fast one because people want to help their local comic retailers and two what a hell of a thing yeah it's something right. that everybody's going to get behind and my guess is because of how it's being done there's not going to be a second print so no. it's going to be a collectible piece right easily so if you want one july 1st get it well get on it yeah I'm, I'm still i'm flabbergasted i love it that's I, I have no words. That's that's just amazing. All right. Uh, heavy losses this week. Uh, we'll start with Joel Schumacher. The director e. has died at the age of 80. 
He began his entertainment career as a costume designer for films produced throughout the 1970s. And at the same time, he wrote screenplays for yeah. 1976's Car Wash. Yeah. <laughs> and 1978's The Wiz. Yeah. So, yeah, white guy writes black music. I, I only um, recently recently learned about him writing The Wiz. Like, uh, a well, few, the, a the few f- weeks ago, it was on HBO, and I watched it, and I'm, like, reading the credits, and I'm like, screenplay the, by Joel Schumacher. Yeah, the film version. Right. Yeah, the film, film version. version. Yeah, yes. Mind yes. you, the stage musical was way before it. Yes, yes. And, and the stage musical script versus the film script are very different. Very different. If you want to see how much different, look up the Wikipedia page. It's actually pretty accurate about the differences. And okay. um, yeah, anyway. Hold on to yourselves. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's a pretty intense Wikipedia page. I was in a production of The Wiz. Were you really? I was in a all white production of The Wiz. Wow. Yes. That's uh it, to be fair, it was high school Small town Indiana, so <laughs> we, back, we couldn't have a black cast back before you knew better. Then so, I take it, <laughs> yeah. So back before they knew black people, especially in where I grew up. Jesus Christ, that is so. Yeah, it's, <laughs> and I'm going to tell you right now, we did the whitest version of the Wiz. Oh man, <laughs> we I... took every ounce of soul out of that music. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and the guy that played the Tin Man, God love him, he could dance, but he could not sing. And so when he's singing that soulful song, Slide That Oil to Me, it was, oh, wow. You know, it's on videotape, and so, oh, no! so yeah, it exists. Oh! So, uh, and I think I have it in a digital version. I wonder if I can oh, at God. least pull out a clip of that. I had a very small role. I was the whiz gatekeeper who I might have to say, I, I felt a a moment of pride when that was played by Common in the live whiz version that was done a little bit ago. <laughs> nice. I was like, me and Common have played the same role. Oh, yeah. You gotta, you gotta like, write him a fan letter. You gotta, you gotta, oh, my God. Because I love me some Common. And so I'm like, oh, my God. But I have to say, oh he improved God. the role much more than I did. <laughs> So uh, I have to I have to do an Andy and jump back a joke. Uh, so you're saying Tin Man had a tin ear? Oh wow, yeah. yeah. And again, <laughs> it's those the so, I love the Wiz. The songs in the Wiz are awesome, and in the great singers' hands, they're fantastic and soulful and heartfelt. I'd, I'd, I like the music better in the Wiz than the Wizard of Oz. Right. Yeah. Uh, get get the original theater recording though if you want to listen to it because the there are songs that were written for the screen adaptation that yes. are unique too so right. uh, if you want to listen to both that's good because you can compare and contrast and but. not the not the indiana high school version. <laughs> no come on and yep. he's on down oh he's god. on down the road oh my god yeah jay county high school i love you but man was that a choice <laughs> <laughs> wow uh, it's yeah. Oh god, it's so it was funny. Not fun. It because, was a fun musical because, to do. dude. Um, there, there was a story like uh, I heard in the '80s about someone who was in 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 Hollywood who was like, "Hey, I got a great idea. Let's do the Whiz, but white." <laughs> well, that's just it. It's it was. I'm sure that was never brought up or even thought. It's like the Whiz. That'll be fun. Let's do that. It's, but no one's going to go but white because 
frankly, in my high school, there's no choice. Yeah. <laughs> I think we had one person in there that was of Japanese descent, and that was probably the extent of diversity in my high school. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So, and he didn't even get a big role, did he? He wasn't in the theater, but man. <laughs> I <laughs> love that dude. Even in the he was great. Program. <laughs> Not in the theater program. <laughs> oh, my God. Ah. Oh. Uh, well, you know, it, what I, better I, way to commemorate Joel Schumacher's <laughs> passing? God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't make any promises because I don't know if I have the technology or ability to to do this. But if I can at all, I will attempt to strip out the part that I'm in of that show. And... Uh, of course, there's uh, no singing of my part because one, I was chorus and the gatekeeper of Oz. So I, I get no singing time except to well, back Well, bust up. my buttons. Right. Oh, man. But, whoo, oh, the memories. Okay. <laughs> back to back to Schumacher. Yeah, back, right. to, back to actually honoring Schumacher here. Yeah, he did Flatliners, right? Yes. Uh, okay. Yes. Well, let, let me finish yeah, this off yeah, and then finish right. off because I have comments too. Uh, he started out as a director for television prior to his breakout film in 1985 of the coming-of-age drama St. Elmo's Fire. Uh, Schumacher followed that up two years later with The Lost Boys, a classic of 80s horror. Mm-hmm. The movie influenced new generation of filmmakers like Jordan Peele and spawned a TV show that's in the works for the CW. Uh, in the mid-90s, Schumacher inherited the Batman film franchise. Uh, Batman Forever adopted a more playful atmosphere and vibrant color palette. Uh, the sequel, Batman and Robin, up to the camp. Uh, Schumacher also helmed Flatliners in 1990, Phantom of the Opera in 2004, and the number 23 in 2007. I also believe he did Super 8, if I remember right. 8 millimeter. 8 millimeter. thank you. That was the Nick Cage. You're vehicle. right, that's a whole different goddamn yeah. movie. Wow, wow, <laughs> wow. 8 millimeter, <laughs> Super 8. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Just, <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, wrote and directed DC Cab. That was a movie that I remember just cracking up to when I was when I was young. That was a funny movie. Wrote and directed Saint Elmo's Fire. Uh, directed yeah. The Lost Boys, but as I recall, didn't actually have any writing credit on. I that believe one. you're right. Um, he gets a lot of shit for the Batman movies, and in many cases, rightfully so. But the man did a lot of amazing movies. Yeah. I mean, you already mentioned Flatliners. He did Falling Down, which was oh, yeah. an amazing. I, well, I thought a, was an amazing film. Dude, if there's, the time. if there's a movie that's prescient to what's going on modern right now? Yeah. Trump era, it's Falling Down. Wow. He directed a lot of the Grisham adaptations, The Client, Time to yeah. Kill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you already mentioned 8mm. Um, no, I mentioned Super 8. It's a whole different thing. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> you, you meant to mention 8mm. I just want to fucking... But I mean... I want I mean, some high school or elementary school to... Let, let's commemorate Joel Schumacher. I got this great movie, 8mm, that he did. <laughs> You know, a friend, a, f- a friend of mine from the college theater was in that movie. Oh wow! Yeah, it, was he uh, the scarecrow or uh, <laughs> cowardly lion? I know that was high school. Yeah. But. I guess what I'm trying to say though is, like, for all the grief that he got for the Batman films, the man wrote and directed a lot of fantastic films from yeah the 80s, 90s, and yeah. deserves 
the respect that a lot of his co-director, you know, his fellow directors and uh, cast members that worked with him or worked for him have given him over the last few days. So I've riffed. He, he's I, deserving of yeah. being respected. I, I thought about it. I gave some thought about it, and I realized that, like, especially here on the show, you know, when I do talk about Schumacher, it generally was about the Batman movies. So it would be in the <clears throat> in the the zone that I'm, you know, not not too yeah. thrilled with. But um, I remember being overseas, and so coming back to the states in the summers to kind of get a sort of an idea of what what '80s was. Um, for younger people, it was like Saint Elmo's Fire yeah. <clears throat> was a was a was a big movie uh, for me to watch just to just to you know kind of grab in uh, uh, kind of grab that vibe. Flatliners was uh, I remember that one. Um, and in fact, uh, in fact, I remember always uh, the Grisham movies always just being. There was an element of this is Joel Schumacher, yeah. you know, and 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 uh, because it, I think that those were those were just well made, such. You know. And let, let's not forget, no director and or writer is going to be a hundred percent gold every single time they make a movie. Everybody's going to have a bad film sure. here or there. Well, and, yeah, and, but you're and transcending fair, with right. the Batman movies. <laughs> yeah, and, well, but <laughs> if you consider it. Literally, his only failure was Batman and Robin, because Batman Forever actually did fairly well at the box office and was critically received fairly well. It wasn't it wasn't an outstanding quote unquote sequel, as a lot of the the reviewers said. But right. it okay, was yeah. they said it it was a good it was a really good Batman film. Val Kimmer did a fantastic job, et cetera, et cetera. He was and he I inherited him, yeah. a lot of that too. Yeah. A lot of that. Um, and I didn't know this until recently. Tim Burton had done a lot of that pre-production and working on that script before. It's there's there's some debate as to whether he was pushed out or if he just quit on his own. But Burton left. They brought Schumacher 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 in, and he finished the film. So, and then he went completely the extreme with Batman and Robin. Wanted to try to make it a true living comic book and didn't come out the way that everyone had hoped. I have two things to say about Schumacher and his Batman movies. One, I love Batman forever. Always have. And a lot of that stems to my man crush on Jim Carrey. He also directed the video for Kiss by a Rose by Seal that appears in the film. Which is an amazing song. Yeah. Uh, second thing, uh, to because I've been very vocal about my dislike of Batman and Robin as well. It's a terrible film. I, I will say that Part of, yes, there uh, he a lot of that is on his shoulders for the movie he made, but let's face it, the com- company behind him, Warner Brothers, was really out to sell toys at that point. Yeah, and so that and they they made that very clear to him. Make sure you add a lot of things because we want to make a lot of toys. Uh, on the other side of that, I have to champion Batman and Robin for one thing, and that is. Without it, we probably would not have gotten the Nolan verse Batman stuff. Uh, true, true enough. Uh, true and enough. so, because they which were, are some of the yeah. best Batman things ever made. Because there there were plans for a sequel to Batman and Robin. Yes. Yep. So the fact that he crashed that 
led to some of the best Batman movies we've had. And so it's a backhanded thank you, sure. Yeah. But it is I a mean, truism. It's it's interesting. Uh uh oh shoot, who was it at uh at Scoop Fest that did the defense of Batman oh, that's and a, Robin? Yes, uh, that, that would uh, be Mikey. Movies. Yeah, yeah, movies Mike, with Mikey, Mikey yeah. did a an, a very fantastic, and, he, and it was it was actually a good it was actually a good defense because that that whole good. production was wrought with difficulty. I mean, Val Kilmer bowed out at the last minute. Uh, they brought Clooney in, and Clooney is a fantastic actor, but he did not seem like he wanted to be in that film at all. Yeah, just, I don't think he did. I he, thought that that I, was that was a this was is it, how, was it a contractual thing? Yeah, well, this is you how so? you get good night and good luck and confessions of uh, a dangerous mm. mind and stuff like that. Do this movie to make your movie. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm that's pretty possible. sure. I, I didn't know that, but it's, yeah, yeah, that could be what it that is. That had but. A, that had a lot to do with that, and it um it it's also funny too because I like Clooney as Bruce Wayne. I thought that 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 could actually be a very a very good, you know, Bruce Wayne. Well, Clooney so, can do dapper without even blinking an eye. Yeah, really. It's, 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 he oozes charm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I mean, you know, add that and the fact that they kept cramming other characters into the film that weren't originally yeah. planned to be in there. I mean, yeah, you it, know, it, you're you're it, gearing up for a disaster before a a single frame of film has been shot. And, but and I also will say. It was Batman 89, the original Michael Keaton one, that really got me on track to reading comic books and falling in love with comic books in general. I really didn't until then. Yeah. Uh, And so by that time, I was, by the time Batman and Robin came around, I was already super steeped in Batman lore. And, And so my expectations for characters like Bane sure. were, were not met. For, so, And then, of course, now I've completely changed my Oof, idea yeah. of, of what I think a film should meet the needs of little nerd Todd. The many and not the one. Right. Shoot, I mean, <laughs> I, I got to admit, the first time I saw clips of the Nolan Bane, I was like, big question mark. I'm like what is he doing? Where is he going with this character? And then seeing the film going, oh, I see. It's a very different take on the character. Yeah. And, and I like it that fits, take Yeah, and, and it's amazing because it fits into the universe that he has established. Yeah. So I accepted that Bane and then had to remind myself, this is not the Bane from the comic books. Sure. This is, this is, it's, this is the Nolan Bane, and it you really... You read the comics <laughs> books. I was born in them. <laughs> But yeah, little little nerd Todd, little toxic yep. nerd Todd was like, "Well, eh, you made Bane Boy. a little henchman, yeah. Which it's kind of funny because we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this later. You mentioning uh, you mentioning the uh, <clears throat> the original Batman getting you into reading comics, and there's a Keaton news connection coming up. It's, I didn't I didn't put it in the news. Yes, there are. There's news that Keaton is in early, early talks uh, to join up in the Flash movie right. yeah, the as, an, as an alternate Batman. Uh, the reason I haven't put it in news is because nothing's signed. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and so... And, t- the, and those the, the, deals the, the, fall apart at the yeah. last minute all the time. There, there's a, a lot of stuff that I don't bring to the show that's rumor, and unless I see somebody has signed or they're, it's, it's a done deal at this point, they're going to sign, uh, then it will officially make yeah. news on this show. Uh, but uh, I, I, I do what I can to 
keep the rumors out. It's it's also funny too because uh, that rumor has actually stirred a lot of a uh, uh, resurgence and excitement of a uh, petitioning, you know, a public outcry for a live action Batman Beyond with Keaton as the elderly Bruce Wayne. Ah. The uh, older. I'd be for it. Yeah. yeah. Bringing in Terry, whatever the fuck his name Terry is. Terry McGinnis? Yeah, I believe so. I think I. Um, it's been so long since yeah. I've watched it. But, um, but yeah, it's uh, Schumacher. Yeah, it. Um, I want to make a. I, I don't know how to. I don't know what to say exactly because I want to talk about a, a visual style uh, that that is that is very. 80s ish in my mind but i really don't know i really don't know how to even i don't have the vocabulary the film vocabulary i will really. say with schumacher's 80s work and going into mid 90s uh uh very very st- i won't say stylized but I've an emphasis on style yeah i, I mean, would the, style I would, is yeah. a huge part of the lost boys i lost boys is one of my favorite horror films from the 80s uh but it has a very distinct style. Yes, yes, yes. And if you also look at it, it kind of established that style in the 90s because there's a lot of other directors that emulated a lot of what right. he did with his visual style on yeah, those sure. movies. And I'm sure some of that harks back that he started as a costume designer in Hollywood. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so I'd say if they, if it's anything with Schumacher movies, it is a emphasis on the style, not of filming, but as what the actors are wearing and the setting around it hey here's a here's a nice little marathon comparison someday do a lost boys near dark (laughs) marathon and uh rate and compare uh 80s vampire you're right movies plus it would get me to actually watch near dark which i still have not done well anyway that's one i feel bad about because that's that's you should yeah you just you should i own it Oh, good. <laughs> Does that count? Yeah, just like, just like all the other half the film library of Hollywood. Well, you own it. Yes, Jeff. You were rest, saying actually rest, something poignant. <laughs> I was saying, rest in peace, Joel Schumacher. You will be missed. Yes, indeed. You, yes. You did, were did, a did, part of cinematic history. Did, you know, this will continue to be, despite the despite the whatever we may say about BN, BNR, because it's it, you were. You, you, it, when I read it and when I read that headline, I was just like, uh, wow, it's like a kind of like a, a little bottom falling out on, uh, on a, on a bit of, uh, what's made some of Hollywood today. Yeah. Also, we lost Sir Ian Holm this week. Oh, that was a tough one, too. Known for his role as Ash in Alien and Bilbo Baggins in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. He died at the age of 88. Uh, born Ian Holm Cuthbert in Essex, England. He studied the, at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts, eventually joining the Royal Shakespeare Company. Holm entered the on-screen work for television and projects in the late 50s and hit the big screen in 1968's The Beaufort's Gun. At the same year, he played Frankenstein in the British horror anthology Mystery and Imagination. His performances as Sam Musabini in the British horror, uh, in, boy. <laughs> One hour and 40? Uh, let me, yeah. Well, um, let me start that sentence over again. <laughs> the performance as Sam Musabini in the historical drama Chariots of Fire. Ah. Yes, nabbed him a BAFTA win and an Oscar nod. 
He was also named commander of the British Empire in 1989 and knighted in 1998. Holmes' other famous genre credits include Brazil, Time Bandits, The Fifth Elements, and Ratatouille. I, yeah, he's he's been... Holy mackerel. He's just... He's been all over every genre of film. I mean, sci-fi and fantasy, probably where I most know him from, but then you go back and look at, you know, his his filmography and just it's it's super impressive i didn't i didn't realize that he was 88 i for some reason thought he was several years younger i thought he was like maybe in his early 80s but uh but yeah that was that was that was one that kind of hit me when i was like flipping through because i was literally about to go to sleep and i saw it's like breaking news mm. you know actor ian home and i was like what <laughs> i so. i uh reading about that and and reflecting on that it's like i've decided i've decided i want for my epitaph on my tombstone to just be a quote and say you have my sympathies <laughs> it's funny too cuz when you go back and look at lord of the rings he's such a minor part of that trilogy no less impactful oh, yeah. part yeah. of those films because yeah. he really sets the stage at the beginning for where it's going to go and then wraps it up at the end. Although I just recently found out um, the final scene where they all go on the ship and sail away was apparently one of the first scenes that they shot. Oh, So <laughs> having, you know, uh, uh, Ian McKellen was talking about, he's like, yeah, Ian and, and I, and this is, we're meeting this cast for the first time and we have to pretend like we have known each other <laughs> for a long time adventure. and lifelong friends who have been through all this adventure you know, and then it, have to sail off. It's kind of funny. It's, it's a testament kind of to the talent though. Well, I maybe, I mean, I kind of, I can kind of see that hearing that I kind of, cause that scene really, really had, uh, you know, for McKellen and for home, the four of them, that wasn't the first scene that they filmed, is it? Um, because I think because the, the four I, of them, I think it. Felt I know it. It's one of the first scenes, uh, and that's that's coming from. Um, God damn it, my brain. Reunited. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the reunited. Uh, okay. Reunited apart that Josh right. Gad did. Because I wonder talk about it. Because I wonder if uh, if they had all met at that point too. Because. Because they, they, I think, had I'm a sure better I'm sure the two gel. Ians knew each other. No, 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 no. I mean, I mean, I mean, as, as far a as cast, the rest of the cast. As a cast, the four, the four hobbits, mm -hmm. um, it, it, it felt, it felt better in there than, uh, than, than McKellen and stuff. I, I also actually blamed a lot of that on the, the filming of it. It just, yeah. the thing felt a little weird to me. Of course, this is freaking you know end of end of the f movie right uh, end of the trilogy so uh at that point who gives a rat's patootie because <laughs> right. the, the jumping on the bed scene is definitely hell that might have been the final scene they filmed <laughs> and they're like we're fucking done yay so but i gotta watch that uh that, that cat thing. it's amazing so i i you know 
you know, Back to the Future is my favorite, but I actually think that's probably the best of the reunited yeah. parts is the Lord of the Rings cool. one. And um, uh, uh, people bringing up, I, and I, I, well, I'd not forgotten Banished from memory, but rather uh, had put in the back of my head uh, Fifth Element. Yeah. And it, it was funny because for me, he did something where he was Napoleon. That would be uh, uh, Time was that, Bandits. Was that Time Bandits? Okay, that was Time Bandits. So I had seen him be be comical, you know, uh, before that. But Fifth Element was really where oh, he yeah. just... Oh, yeah, you know. he, he definitely flexed his comic muscles right. in that one. And then He's, he took, if I'm remembering my order right, uh, I can't remember. Did he, did he bring that to Polonius, or had he done gibson's hamlet before then because he played polonius a little bit that way too the the the, the you know i still remember his neither a borrower nor a lender b and he you know he, i think he hamlet can, came afterwards okay because he kind of had that uh i could check but what the hell it's uh you know thank you sir ian that yeah it, 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 a lovely what a lovely career to have absolutely what a lovely career to have comic and, comic comic Acting royalty. <laughs> oh, yeah. without a doubt. Yeah. That's into more news. Uh, Chairman Spaceman is heading to film. Uh, Oscar-winning Pixar director Andrew Stanton is in consideration to direct for Searchlight's upcoming movie adaptation about a tycoon whose guilty conscience sends him on an ill-fated space ride. Uh, set to be adapted from author Thomas Pierce's short story of the same name, Chairman Spaceman follows the redemption efforts of Dom Whipple a reformed corporate raider who signs for a 30-year space mission to help colonize a distant planet. Things become a blur after he takes off, and the next thing you know, he's back on Earth 30 years later trying to figure out what happened, and he hasn't aged a bit. Chairman Spaceman got its start as a short story in The New Yorker, and Pierce reportedly is adapting his story for the screen as part of the creative team. Stanton, who already holds a pair of Best Animated Feature Oscars for Finding Nemo and WALL-E, is also part of the writing team for all four Toy Story movie, movies and directed John, uh, Disney's John Carter. His most recent directing film credit is Finding Dory, 2016 successor to Finding Nemo. So Chairman Spaceman. Hmm. Interesting. It sounds, yeah, I'm very intrigued by that. Yeah. Uh, what, what story this has to tell, I'm... I don't want to search out the short story because I want to. I think I want to experience this as a film. Yeah. Short stories to film. When it comes to reading something that's been doing to film, I like to read the novel first and then watch the film. But if it's based on a short story, I like to do the opposite. See, I'm I'm the opposite. I like to watch the film first and then go back and read the book, novel, short story, etc. Because I always feel like I can't look at them as two separate things if I read the novel before oh, I see okay. the movie because it's like your your predisposition to not like the film already, I feel like, if you read the book first because you're like, oh, this is missing, this is missing, this is missing. Oh, they didn't do this. Well, this is time compressed. That's see, just the nature and, and of that's, adapting a story to and, film. And maybe that's something that I, I don't have because that's not why I do it. Uh because I'm not predisposed to sure. to that. In, I can I only speak for myself. I, of course, of course. Uh, so when I'm seeing, I'm interested in seeing, okay, I know the source material. I want to know how somebody interpreted that. Sure. And so that's what that's what I, the enjoyment I get out of that, to doing it. However, when it comes to short story, since it is a much quicker read, I right. know that 
to expound that into a larger piece, like a f- piece of film, or hopefully not, but does happen mini series on TV uh, or longer series. <laughs> Uh, at that point, I like to see the series and then say, okay, what inspired that from a shorter written piece? I think either yeah. journey, either journey yes. has its merit. It does. It absolutely does. You know? And again, as Jeff said, it's a personal opinion. Yeah. Well, Jeff, uh, you know, it's funny because I can, I can actually look at both of you because in, in, in your case, Todd, I would say we're, we're looking at a reverse engineering of artistic process. Um, where you're you're starting at the later and then you're going back, whereas Jeff is is actually just going the complete opposite and and doing an almost linear historical evaluation starting at the source. And either either approach I think can <clears throat> can actually be very illuminating. I uh, there's something I I haven't talked about. I'm not going to talk about today because there's there's something really weird. It's a big commitment though, so I haven't uh, I haven't put into it but i've been thinking about doing something very very odd in terms of binge watching and uh uh it almost along almost along your lines so i think that i think that going backwards as well as you know tracing forwards actually both can be very illuminating so i tend to like the jeff method but there have been instances where, you know, like, I didn't know there was a book, or I never got to the book, or, you know, or the TV show, or, okay, I'll do it now. And it actually can be a very fascinating experience to do that, <clears throat> especially when you see, like, oh, they sure. picked that up. Oh, they didn't bother with that. Oh, I, I've done that, and you're right. It has, there, there's definitely pluses to it. I, I think the, the thing that strikes me that I don't enjoy as much is that, if I've seen the film and then read the book, the book has been cast. That, that When I read the book, I will only see the actors that I've already seen in my mind. Oh, okay. ah. uh, whereas with the book, I have a chance to let the book tell me the story and my mind create my own characters. And then I can then see, when I see the movie, I say, oh, this is how they interpreted that. And mm. my reading won't be tinged by somebody else's vision. Hmm. But... That's just me. Yeah, you're weird. I'm weird. <laughs> I'm weird. I'm, I'm a white guy in the woods. No, it, can, it. I mean, you can definitely, <laughs> you can definitely go that way. It's it. Uh, uh, for me, a good example of that would be like Conan, right? Every time I read uh, the original, uh, uh, it's kind of funny because I'll read the original Howard shorts, but my first experience with Conan was actually the comic. So John Buscema's illustration of Conan is what I see in the short stories. Arnold doesn't even come into the equation. He's nowhere there for me. I had a similar experience when I was reading the Conan book, You Got Me. That it, I did not see Arnold when I was reading it. I was seeing the Marvel Conan, the, uh, uh-huh. that version. You're, I had the exact same uh, mental go. picture. Good. Well, that's good. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, the CW has announced that it had acquired domestic airings to ri- the rights to show Killer Camp. The British competition series, originally aired on ITV2, described as a, quote, satirical horror whodunit. Killer Camp follows 11 strangers who think that they're participating in a reality show called Summer Camp 
In reality, they're, quote, actually participating in an over-the-top murder mystery, reads the description. Uh, playing games for cash every night, the campers are picked off one by one, meeting their respective demises in, quote, extreme, hilarious, and inventive ways. Uh, who among them is pulling the strings and commanding Camp Handyman Bruce to carry out the killings? The mystery, not to mention the mistrust and paranoia, are part of the fun. It's up to the campers to expose the murderer before it's too late. So, events, essentially, this is a game of mafia <laughs> or werewolf. <laughs> Uh, filmed as a reality show and i heard about this happening uh in england and i'm excited that i will get to actually watch it now i i I, this this could be my kind of reality game show really not i mean i i tend i don't like reality shows when they're like life drama because but, but you not. and I have watched a yeah. lot of quote-unquote reality game shows yes. because we know they're game shows. Right, and I love reality game shows like right. Lego Masters yes. and, and Master Chef, Yes, and, and so on. Amazing Race. So where reality works for me is in this game show format. Right. And mind you, this is obviously more on the Survivor style of show, but giving it a coating of Crystal Lake over the top, uh, yeah, Just I'm going right to watch your this. <laughs> and, and it's coming out this summer. Uh, it's it's obvious this is how they're going to be filling in the ranks from them not being able to produce their shows sure. for the uh, uh, still ongoing pandemic. I might remind everybody, don't wear your goddamn masks. Um and remember, just like with a sneeze, cover your nose and your mouth, not just your mouth. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Anyway. Uh what a digital co-founded by the Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh, announced the creation of Weta Animated, a new division that will create original content for the first time in the visual effects company history. The entirety of Weta Digital will be led by Prem Akajaru, who, uh, with writing and creative input from Jackson and Walsh, uh, Weta Animated will focus on projects for both the large and small screen, including streaming services. Uh, wow. no- nothing's been announced yet, but... Weta is one of the, if there's anybody out there that is in the league of industrial light and magic, it's Weta. So them doing an animated uh, division? Okay. Yeah, sure. What, you know, what you got? Honestly, you know, DreamWorks animation came out and surprised everybody. In fact, a lot of people thought that they were going to fail miserably, but they did a good job with several different films. And, you know, Weta's got the advantage of already having some of the best CG talent out there. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm fascinated and uh, anxious to see what they've got, got coming out. Always happy for a new animation studio. Yeah. And if it's coming from this pedigree, you have my attention. Absolutely. Colin Trevorrow is making a movie about Atlantis for Universal. Quote, unlike previous incarnations of the mythical city as an underwater kingdom, Trevorrow's Atlantis is set on a lost continent in the Indian Ocean between Africa, India, and Oceania. It is a multicultural civilization with its own advanced technology, writes Deadline. Dante Harper, co-writer of Alien Covenant, is penning the screenplay based on an original story conceived by Trevorrow and Matt Charman, who did Bridge of Spies. Uh, Harper also wrote this spec script that led to Doug Lyman's Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, that's that, 
I, yeah. Edge of Tomorrow. That's the one with the Tom Cruise. That's yes. really the Live, time die, family. repeat. Yes. yes, such a bad name for a good yep. movie. All you need is kill. All, <laughs> they just should have stuck with that. Yep, it'd been better. Uh, the idea for Atlantis reportedly came to Trevorrow in 2018, but he held off on commissioning a script in order to, for production designer Kevin Jerkins, who did, was the production designer for Star Wars Rise of Skywalker, to do some research and build the movie's visual aesthetic. The director is producing under his Metronome Film Company banner, which is working on another endeavor at Universal, a musical film adaptation of Catherine Valentine's 2018 Hugo-nominated novel, Space Opera. Uh... That novel is in my Kindle. It's been in there for a while. I would need to read it. I've heard great things about space opera. <laughs> Colin Trevorrow. Uh, you know what? I've only seen his first Jurassic World. I haven't seen any of the continuing ones. Mm-hmm. I like Jurassic World. It's fun. Yeah, Jurassic World's good. It's, Fallen Kingdom, I thought, was kind of meh. Okay. That's just my personal opinion. Sure. I know a lot of people liked it. it. It did really well at the box office, which is why the third sequel is coming up. <laughs> Trevorrow, was he the one that was going to do Rise of Skywalker? Yes. Okay. So, and he bowed out? Yes. Because I'm not getting involved in that toxic mess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, this one. The FDA is approving the first video game in the United States that can be legally prescribed and marketed as medicine. According to an official press release, quote, oh, I have heard this one. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration, FDA, uh, permitted marketing of the first game-based digital therapeutic device to improve attention function in children with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, also known as ADHD. Uh, Akali Entertainment Endeavor RX. That's 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 what it's called. So that's flashy name, Endeavor RX. A good ADH uh, name. <laughs> Doesn't look at all much different from other video games from the 90s. But according to the company's own press release, quote, it's designed for the targeted activation of specific neural systems in the brain to treat diseases associated cognitive dysfunction. Unquote. The game still hasn't launched yet, and there's currently a wait list to join. But the road to Endeavor RX's FDA approval has gone through five clinical studies, including a prospective randomized controlled trial. Endeavor RX's most common side effects are cited as frustration and headache, uh, which, by the way, are the same uh, side effects as the game Dark Souls. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, but that might seem as a decent trade-off compared to other medicines used to combat ADHD. So, interesting. Yeah, um, it's... The first one, but uh, there's another one that's still going on. Uh, I don't know if it's the same companies, but there's a long-term study for video games as a treatment for a, uh, uh, post-traumatic stress. You know what? I've heard and rumblings of that. Apparently, yeah. it's because of the way it, it it's, it's the neural reprogramming. I'm going to have to look up the specifics of how it affects the brain, but it's like a cognitive and a neural reprogramming that allows people to cope with and deal with the the trauma as opposed to a lot of times especially in you know veterans a lot of times they try to ignore it and or self-medicate if you will and uh so um the adhd was one i knew that they had been working on i was surprised that they had got the approval because 
ADHD is one of those that you know, I have a, a nephew that has that. And uh, it's actually, I have a niece and a nephew, excuse me, who both have that. And yeah, when they're having a moment, it's very difficult to get them to to pay attention sure. or even calm down. Because sometimes when they get into a hyperactive episode, there's just nothing you can do, but you have to just kind of stand back and let them wear themselves out. So take two Borderlands and call me in the morning. But uh, but yeah, I mean they've been they've been looking at video games as potential treatment for a lot of neurological disorders for at least a decade that I'm aware of. I mean, maybe even longer. So they well they've come this far. Yeah. So. Hey, any positives that can come out of the video game industry, I'm all for. Because there's there's enough to be there's enough to be irritated with in the video game industry that uh, I'll I'll take a win here and there. <laughs> What's your Batman nipples? Right to his comments at uglycouchshow.com. <gasps> oh, his obsession with getting those nipples on that costume. <laughs> it's a costumer, man. That's true. I you know it it makes more sense knowing that where he got his start. <laughs> And until next week, I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander Nipples. And <laughs> we'll talk to you next week in Geek. Whew. Yeah. Biff, bam, pow. Right. Man, the, I'll this tell you zoinks, what. Zoinks, yo. I've enjoyed making the videos for Minecraft, but you know what it's gotten in the way of? Uh-oh. Mm. Minecraft. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was going to say painting your minis, but no, I guess. You know well. what? It actually hasn't. I've I've been doing that on a good regular basis. You know what? I never kind of re-upped when I, when I said that I was going to do that, uh, creating that f- that film over the decals that I was mm-hmm. having such a problem with. It's working. Oh, really? It's mm. actually working. And uh, I, I was able to send a picture to Matt. To, to show how his uh, ship is looking right now. Uh, again, it's a painstaking process. It, it's t- it takes forever. Like, it takes like days to do a decal. But it's it's paying off in spades, and I'm happy to say that his ship is going to look good when it's all said and done. Nice. Very nice. And uh, the board game minis, they're almost done. I, I really only have to do basing and some touch-ups on like two others, and that's done. So I have actually, yes, even though You've I haven't been talking some about it, I have been still in the hobby room doing uh, hobby work. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, Minecraft, I go on there, I'm like, oh, I need to make a video. And, and I've got like a list of videos that I want to make. And then I'm like, you know, I really need to take some time and just play some Minecraft. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially since the new thing's dropping, but I'll probably make a video of that too. It's, uh, it's yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not, I'm saying it's a problem. I'm enjoying this through and through. It's on a all good sides. problem to have. Is yeah, what you're exactly. I, 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 I'm enjoying what is happening with it. So I've, oh, boy, you enjoy if, that. Right. If you you had, enjoy you. If you'd have told me I was, become a Minecraft YouTuber two years ago. I would have... You'd have laughed at me. Not laughed and probably spit on you a little laughing that, <laughs> that hard. Whoa. Wow. That, oh, from, that, from the laughing. From the okay. laughing, yeah. <laughs> All right. Jesus Christ. I'm like, what the hell, man? I know. <laughs> not that much of a villain. <laughs> or are you? <laughs> ah. Tune into the next Minecraft fight.